0: This morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter twenty-four, uh, verses fifteen through verse twenty-eight. Let's again listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look... Here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your word. It is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would be with us, giving us understanding and insight to the truth that is here. And we do pray, Father, that as Your Word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, that it would truly find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for Your glory. We ask now for Your blessing upon Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in our passage this morning, we see Jesus continuing to answer the disciples' question about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the return of Christ and, of course, of the end of the age. And so far, Jesus has given some very general signs that will basically occur in each generation. These signs aren't definitive signs that the end has come. They merely reveal that the end is drawing ever closer. Now some of the signs that Jesus mentioned, like wars and famines and natural disasters, will they affect a people all around the world, both believer and unbeliever alike. The last time we also considered how Jesus warned of the sign of persecution that will fall upon those who profess his name and faith. And again, this happens during every age. And even then, we know that persecution isn't to be understood as a sign that the end is here, only that the end is coming. And so all these signs, Jesus assures, will take place. And instead of being filled with worry and panic that the end of the world has arrived... The special charge to believers is that they ought to be all the more diligent, even in the face of persecution, to continue carrying on the mission that Jesus has given his church, to proclaim the gospel throughout all the earth until the very last individual appointed to salvation comes to faith. Only then Jesus affirms that the end would come. But Now Jesus gets more specific as he begins to answer the question about, specifically, when the destruction of the temple would come about. And again, though he doesn't give specific times and dates, he gives some clear signs of this coming judgment upon the Jews that would occur within their own generation, that is, their own lifespan, the lifespan of his disciples, many of his disciples. But in the midst of foretelling of the horrors of this judgment... Jesus also assures his disciples of God's mercy. Of his mercy to spare them so that they can continue doing the work that he has called them to do. Though in this section of the Olivet Discourse, we know that Jesus is primarily focusing on the events that would occur in 70 AD. That is this time of judgment. As all times of judgment that we see in the scriptures, they all point forward to the return of Christ. And that final uh, judgment on the last great day. And So though Jesus is speaking of 70 AD here. And the events that would happen at that time. Again this becomes a picture of the final judgment at the end of the age. But before we get to the prediction of judgment. We should step back a moment and remember. Why is this judgment coming upon God's people the Jews? In fact, why did Jesus say back in uh, verse 2 of chapter 24, Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Why is He talking about the destruction of the temple? Remember that the temple was the center of the life and faith of God's people. And it was a reminder to them that the Lord Himself was dwelling in their midst. So why is Jesus now talking about that temple being destroyed, and earlier he had said that the house would be made desolate. Well, it's ultimately or part, in part because of the hollow religion of the Jews. And Jesus has on numerous occasions condemned the, the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their legalism and how they've obscured God's law with their uh, man made traditions. He's condemned the other party of the priests, the Sadducees, for their worldliness and for their rejection of the power of God and His Spirit. And because the teaching of these religious leaders, because they taught and they lived a shallow, empty religion themselves, many of the people who followed after them only put forward an outward only show of faith where they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far, far away from Him. And so for these things, judgment was surely coming. But aside from all this, ultimately the judgment of God was coming upon the temple, upon Jerusalem, and upon the Jews, because they would reject Jesus as the Messiah. And as Jesus has already foretold to his disciples, not only will they reject him, but they will soon arrest him and they will put him to death. And so the very one whom the Lord God promised to send them, to save them, to deliver them from their sins, they were about to nail to a cross because he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted and desired. In rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God's salvation. And so the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple will be God's judgment upon them for this atrocity. But well, when will this judgment come? It will come, as we read in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. The abomination of desolation is literally a, a defilement that destroys or a profaning sacrilege. That is, it's, it defiles what's considered uh, to be holy to the point where it's as good as destroyed and, and becomes worthless. Now, this language comes from the prophet Daniel and is used several times by Daniel in reference to the profaning of the temple that would come as God's judgment "...against Israel for their continued hard-heartedness and sin." Daniel prophesied during the time of the captivity, and he tells in his prophecies that even after the Jews would return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and they would rebuild the temple, there would come a time when the temple would not be destroyed, but it would be defiled. Well, this came about and was fulfilled... In 168 BC when the Syrian general uh, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes entered Jerusalem. And he uh, erected an altar to Zeus in the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. And so both this idolatry and of course the sacrificing of an unclean animal on the altar of the Lord. Disgraced and profaned what God had set apart as holy. It was the ultimate insult to God and to the people. And eventually led to a revolt by the Jewish people against the Seleucid Empire. Which had ruled, which was ruling over them at the time. But this desecration foretold by Daniel 700 years before. Also pointed toward another time. When the temple would be desecrated and defiled once again. And this would come about... In 70 A.D. when the Roman army came in to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And so here Jesus reminds His disciples of this prophecy. In in Daniel uh, 12 verse 11 we read, And from the time that the regular sacrifice (laughs) is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up. At a time after the Messiah, there would be another final profanation of the temple. And Matthew adds here this editorial comment that when later generations, when they read Daniel, when they read these words of Jesus, they are going to be able to understand both the sign that he's speaking of and its fulfillment. And this will be a clear sign. Again, that the disciples themselves in their own generation would be able to see. Look how Jesus begins here. Therefore, when you see They're going to be able to see this. It's going to be noticeable. They're going to see it firsthand. And Luke adds the words of Jesus that are even more specific. In Luke 21 verse 20, Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. And so this is a clear sign that's given that the destruction of the temple and the city were at hand. Now this is about as close to an answer to their question of when as it was going to get. And indeed we know that these things happened just as Jesus foretold. The siege of Jerusalem began in 66 AD. And when the city walls were finally breached, the Roman general Titus, who was the son of the emperor Vespasian destroyed Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple and he made a sacrifice in the remains of the courts of the temple after it had been leveled. And so the house of the Lord, the temple, the place where the glory cloud of the Lord had descended, giving the people a sure and certain hope that the Lord was with them, even dwelling in their midst. This temple became defiled and was made desolate even as it remains now today Nearly two thousand years later. Now with such a terrible judgment coming, Jesus warns his disciples and all those who would have ears to hear, that again, when they see these things happening, they ought in verse sixteen, they ought to flee to the mountains. And he says, if you're in Jerusalem or if you're in Judea at the time, and you see these things happening, then that's the signal. To leave. Don't stick around. For the judgment coming upon the Jews who rejected Jesus would come upon you as well. And this warning Jesus gives to his disciples would truly be a great blessing and a mercy to them. To their families and to other Christians at the time at the fall of Jerusalem. Now according to uh, the Jewish historian Josephus and other historians of the time when things began to, to heat up in these the Jewish wars, and that's what they, these were referred to at the time, when the antagonism between the, the Jews and the Romans reached this fevered pitch, many people, many of the Jews, actually ran into this city. Right? They ran into Jerusalem. They were looking for a refuge and within the high walls. They were looking for a refuge because it was placed in this advan, uh, advantageous position high in the mountains. And some were perhaps even looking for refuge. Because there in Jerusalem was the temple. And where the temple was, there the presence of the Lord was. And so they would be fleeing into, into the city looking for the Lord to protect them from these surrounding armies. Well, this flight into the city happened early... Uh, in the uh, November of 66 AD, and uh, there was this kind of this gap, this time of about a year and a half, from, from November 66 until the spring of, of 68, when the the Roman army finally were in position to to lay siege to the city. And so during that time, people were flooding into the Jews were from the country were flooding into the city, but many of the believers as well find out, escape the city. Because they understood the signs. They knew what was coming. And so, but for others, they didn't heed the warning. They didn't know about the warning. They just sought refuge in the great city and the walls of the fortress. (coughs) But Jesus is here telling his disciples... Look, when that time comes, don't go into the city. Do just the opposite. Don't hunker down in the city, but flee and and get out. Indeed, they ought to get out as quickly as they can. Because basically he's saying that if there's any hesitancy, it could truly be the difference between life and death. And Jesus emphasizes the urgency in verses 17 and 18. And he says, look, if you're on your rooftop... It was common that day for, uh, for the, the roofs were flat and people would go up there, especially in the, the, uh, the evenings, to, to cool and to relax. And he said, if you're up on the rooftop, well, look, you see these things happening, don't go down into the house. Don't, don't go and try to pack and, and gather up all your valuables and your belongings. Just take the outside steps and, and go and get out of the city as soon as you can. Don't dawdle or get distracted. Just go. Likewise, if you're out working in the field in the middle of the day and you you see these things happening, well, simply drop what you're doing and go. Don't even bother to, to gather up your clothes. Just go and get out and flee to the mountains where you'll find safety. Things are going to happen quickly. And there won't be any time to plan or to to plan an escape, or to to pack your things. You simply must get out and go quickly. Now Jesus is mindful of how distressing this time will be. And He goes on here to describe some situations that will sadly make this all the more challenging and more difficult as they're trying to, to flee. And so these woeful hindrances include such things as women who will either be pregnant or nursing young children at the time. Now, we ought not to misunderstand, right? Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't have children during turbulent times. But He's simply pointing out the fact that if you do, well then fleeing quickly is going to be more difficult for you. Which then really is all the more reason that you need to be alert to the times and aware of Jesus' warnings And to respond quickly, as quickly as you can. As a mother with young children in tow. Another hindrance is is the weather. I pray that your flight may not be in winter. That's important to point out here, again, that that Jesus, He's he's speaking again of of these things happening, but He's not giving a specific date or time, and not even the time of year. He's saying, pray that it's not going to happen in winter. And this demonstrates to us how Jesus, as the divine Son of God, when He came in the flesh, He limited Himself in His knowledge as God when He became man. And we know that once He returns to His position of glory and honor at the right hand of God, well then that knowledge will be, that, he, uh, that those limits will be removed and He will know exactly what, what is happening. But in His humanity... That knowledge is limited here, and Jesus has limited it himself. But the concern about winter is related, of course, to the colder, less predictable weather that often makes travel difficult. Especially when you're going to be trying to flee to the mountains where streams and rivers would be swelled and more difficult to cross, along with the snow and ice in the higher elevations that you would have to deal with. And so again, Jesus is saying that they ought to diligently pray that the Lord would be merciful and that they w- wouldn't have to flee during the winter. Well, Jesus also mentions the Sabbath as a woeful hindrance. Remember that the Jewish traditions greatly limited travel, travel on the Sabbath day. And though there was a provision in the law for fleeing to protect one's life on the Sabbath day, the traditions were so heavily ingrained in the minds of the people that Jesus is aware that some would delay due to their bound consciences. And that's one of the things that legalism does. It, it uh, unjustly binds your conscience. And in a time when you need to act quickly, well, you can't because you're afraid that you might bring some great offense. But again, Jesus is saying that a delay, any delay could be the difference between life and death. And so he emphasizes, again, you must go. And you must get out quickly. As soon as you see these things happening, just go without delay. And pray that the Lord would be merciful in regards to these hindrances. And mercy would surely be needed. Because this judgment would be most terrible. Indeed, it will be incomparable to anything that has occurred before or will occur after. And this is what Jesus says in verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation. Such as has never uh, has not been seen since the, since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now the prophet Daniel used similar language to describe the same event. In Daniel 12 verse 1, he says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found and written in the book, will be rescued. Well, this language used by both Jesus and Daniel causes some to think that Well, they're speaking of the judgment at the end of the age. Although, again, it does prefigure that time. But when they use this language, it's also a way to demonstrate just how serious and severe this judgment upon Jerusalem will be. Jesus is using hyperbole, which was quite common in in Old Testament prophecy in which a prophecy of local destruction was sometimes spoken of in terms of worldwide destruction and catastrophe. For example, in a judgment pronounced against the nation of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 13. The Lord through Isaiah says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land, speaking about Babylon, a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. So here the language is speaking of this judgment to come upon Babylon in these great uh, universal terms. But of course even here we acknowledge that Babylon is a picture of... The fallen and evil world, and of course, John uh, reveals that to us in the Book of Revelation. So, ultimately, it does point ahead to the end, but it's also speaking specifically about God's judgment upon the people of Babylon, and so the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was truly something that was catastrophic on a grand scale for the Jews. Again, to them, it would seem as though all the world was ending. And this would even be true for the disciples. Remember how they uh, co- comprehended this? They couldn't just comprehend the possibility as they were admiring the wonders and the beauty of the building of the temple back in, in verse 1. But this is why Jesus is telling them these things now. saying the world's not going to be ending. When you see these things happening, although it's certainly going to feel like that way, it's going to seem that way, because the world you know and the city you love is going to be destroyed and devastated under the judgment of God. But Jesus also assures that even in the midst of this severe, catastrophic judgment... There will be a glimmer of grace, hope, and mercy. And we see this first in verse 22, where he says that the days will be shortened. Now this doesn't mean that the days will be less than 24 hours, but, but the time of duress won't last long for the sake of God's elect. Now surely if God didn't intervene at all, there would be complete annihilation. But Jesus assures them that this time is going to be shortened. It's not going to last long. This assault would not last long. And again, the historical record bears testimony to this. You see, the Roman legions, after the Jews had had actually defeated uh, a, a legion of the Romans, which led to the uprising in, uh, back in 66 A.D., well, the Roman legions, the other legions, when they heard about what happened to their uh, comrades, well, they wanted to totally destroy the whole nation and just wipe them all off the face of the earth. But the Roman general Titus restrained them under the command of the emperor. Now, of course, from their human perspective, this restraint was because, according to their own scheme, they, they believed that destroying Jerusalem and the, and the temple would be sufficient to silence any remnant feelings of revolt that the people would have. And so they didn't see a need to go further. Why destroy everything when you can destroy these few things and get your point across? And yet God would use their scheme in order to extend mercy to his elect so that they would then be safe. And here we see the great truth of Romans 8, 28, that the Lord truly works out all things but for our good and for His glory. Because here His sovereign rule over the Romans keeps them from annihilating the whole nation and allows the elect of the Lord, allows the, the believers to escape to safety. And so the destruction of Jerusalem wasn't some random event. It was under the sovereign power of Of God. And He had purposed and planned it, even from before the foundation of the world, in order to save His people and to glorify Himself. Well, this certainty then leads to a further warning about a great temptation that would come at this time. And that would be the appearance of false Christs and false prophets. And here Jesus uh, again repeats the warning that he gave back in verses 4 and 5 where he raised the alarm about the same thing. And Jesus assures that these false Christs would come as they take opportunity during this time of great distress to exalt themselves and take advantage of the people. They're not going to let this crisis go to waste. They would use it for their own advantage. And truly, it's often at times of great tribulation that people will look for a way out, right? No one wants to suffer. No one wants to endure hardship. And so they're going to be desperate. They're going to be looking for a leader who would rally them and who would lead them to victory. They're going to be looking for the Messiah and for a Savior that would deliver them from their oppressors. Well Jesus issues this warning to say don't listen to them. If someone comes up and say I am the Christ follow after me or the Christ is over here we know where he is don't listen and pay attention. Because the reality is no Messiah will come at that time. No political leader or savior will be raised up to lead the people. Because the Messiah has already come. And they rejected Him. And they put Him to death. And even though some of these would come and they would do great signs and wonders, again, claiming to be Christ or claiming to know where He can be found, Jesus is saying they're just a bunch of of deceivers and tricksters and they're going to take advantage of this crisis in order to gain power and glory for themselves. And he warns that this will be such a great temptation. Right? Some These people, these uh, false Christs and false prophets will rise up. And it will seem like it's so real. Look at the, the great wonders that they're doing. Look at the message of the hope that they're proclaiming. And the plan and, and the purpose that they have to deliver us from these enemies, from these oppressors. Jesus warns here. That the temptation would be so great that even some of the elect, some of God's chosen people, would be tempted to be led astray. If that were possible. But he makes clear that's not possible. And so his warning is that some true believers would be so caught up in the moment of distress... That they might be tempted to follow after these false Christs and false prophets who make bold promises about being a Savior and about being a Deliverer. But they're merely charlatans. And though the elect may be greatly tempted, since they are true believers, since they are the elect of God before the foundation of the world, since they uh, are true beloved children of the Father, they won't be led astray. Ultimately, they will come to realize the, dece- the deception and they would be able to escape. This they'll do because they are held fast in the Father's hands and no one can pluck them out. If we're truly saved, if we're truly God's elect, then we will not be plucked out, not even by these false Christs and false prophets who would seek to lead astray. Well, how will they know that these are false Christs? Again, because Jesus assures in verse 26 to 28. He says, look, when, when the true Christ comes, when the Son of Man is revealed, when I return at the end of the age, it's going to be crystal clear and evident, not only to you, but to all people everywhere throughout all the earth, that Christ the Lord has come. It will be so clear... Even as he describes here, like the flashes of lightning, right? It begins in the east, but then it spreads across the sky to the west so that the whole sky is light, so that everyone everywhere can see the flash of lightning. The return of Christ, and we'll get into this more, Lord willing, next week. will be so clear and so evident. It will be unmistakable. Well, so too will the judgment that He brings. Just as certain is this judgment to come as scavenging birds circle around and gather together over a dead carcass, so too will the judgment of God come as Jesus has described here. But the Lord God abounds with grace and mercy. And Jesus demonstrates that here in verse 25 with these, with these words. See, I have told you beforehand. That's the whole reason He's telling them these things. These things are coming. Yes, uh, judgment, desolation, destruction, and great tribulation are coming. And even though no one knows exactly when it will come... Jesus warns them that it's coming, and He gives them the signs to look for, and He tells them exactly what to do when it does come. So that when the time comes, and they see this abomination of desolation, when they see the, the armies surrounding Jerusalem, when they see uh, this entering into the, uh, into the city, into the temple, and it's being destroyed, when they see these things, they know to take flight and escape this time of judgment. And again, there were many Christians who were able to flee from Jerusalem even before it came under siege because they remembered these warnings that Jesus gave because He had given them in advance and they did exactly what He commanded them to do and they ran to safety. Indeed, Jesus revealed everything to them in advance so that they wouldn't be caught by surprise. Again so that when the time came they would be able to act quickly even if they had nursing children or if they were pregnant or if there was winter or if it was the sabbath day they knew what exactly what to do they were able to flee the city escape the destruction and endure through this terrible time and so what a great blessing of comfort rooted in God's mercy that they knew when to flee where to go and they ought that they ought to avoid all false prophets and false christs regardless of the signs and wonders that they perform in his mercy jesus warned them in advance of all these things and because of this when that time of tribulation began they were confident they were able to remain calm and they were not overcome by fear or worry Because they knew and believed what Jesus had said and they trusted the Lord was in control and was working out His perfect plan and purpose. Those who rejected Jesus and who put Him to death would surely be judged. But Jesus assures there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved of God, The same is true for us today. For we know that the sure and certain judgment of God is coming. And we don't know exactly when that will be. But we do know, as we understand all these signs, that it is ever drawing closer and closer. And so we ought to be ready. We ought to be prepared to do what Jesus has called us to do. To press on and to serve Him in all things. Trusting in Him and resting in His perfect plan. And we shall endure and be spared judgment and condemnation. So yes, judgment is coming. But also mercy is coming at the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns. And it will all be for our good and to the glory of God of God alone. Let's pray. <coughs> Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your truth and for your word that you give these instructions and these signs in your word. Not just for those who are obviously it was key to them and vital to them to be aware of these things because of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. But even in our own time, as we know that judgment is coming, that the end of the age is drawing near, and that we too must be ready. We must be prepared to respond quickly and to continue to be faithful in what You have called us to do. May we not be overwhelmed with panic and fear, but may we truly stay focused on serving You and bringing all glory to You, trusting in Your perfect plan and Your purpose. Because you have revealed these things to us so that we might be ready. And so we just praise you and thank you, Lord, for this great blessing. And we pray that your spirit would truly apply these things to our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself. That you would truly be with us as we await that time. As we seek to bring your glory, glory to your name in all that we do. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.